Hello, and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. Joining us today in Tokyo is A's Vice President of Baseball Operations, Billy Bean, to talk about Oakland's love of international travel, Japanese baseball, and about the A's roster going into opening day. Then A's broadcaster Ken Korak and I will chat about our new book, If These Walls Could Talk, Tales from the A's Locker Room, Dugout, and Press Box, which will be released on Tuesday. We'll provide some highlights next on A's Plus. Today on the A's Plus podcast, we welcome in the A's Vice President of Baseball Operations, Billy Bean. Uh, it's very special to have you here today because we are back in Japan with for a season opening series that's before uh, the first exhibition game. Billy, um, what are your thoughts on the team playing? That This is the third time since you've been in your position that the team has opened the season in Japan. Yeah, everyone can blame me for this since uh, uh, I've been in big supporter of us coming over here whenever we get the opportunity. In fact, it should have been our fourth. If you, if you recall, Susan, uh, 2003, we had the trip canceled. So, uh, But it is our third, and uh, hopefully we have more, too. I think it's a great, it's a great experience for all the players, too. And I think most of the guys that come here will tell you how much they enjoyed it. Uh, what in particular do you like about the aspects of some, some of these games? You know, these I find the exhibition games really interesting. The style of play is so much different. The crowds are super into it. Um, you know, they've got all their chants and the drumming and the choreography and you know, just kind of more color than really the regular season games. No question. In fact, this is one where you know probably one of the few games I'll actually sit in the stands for a part of it, just to be a part of the atmosphere. It's like being part of a soccer crowd or something. It's really neat and. Uh, uh, and it, you know, again, it's almost a kind of a cultural exchange too. It's just not the baseball, but as you said, the different styles. You know, some of these players you've read about, and we have, we have more access to information now than we did years ago. So you're a lot more familiar with the good young players that are come up through Japan. So it's it's an amazing uh, amazing week that we have here. And again, hopefully, we get to do more. What are your impressions of Japanese baseball, and uh, what's the interest level kind of in the organization of maybe eventually um, signing another player out of Japan? Obviously, our last one, Hiro Nakajima, didn't necessarily work. Out, but you had Hideki Matsui here in 2011, which I think was probably a, a pretty pleasant experience for everybody. Yeah, well, listen, uh, I mean, it, it, this, this baseball is, is king here in this country, and I, we've had so many players come. You know, I think the first guy to really come over and was Nomo, and uh, since then, there's been a lot of great ones. Obviously, we're going to see Ichiro here in the next couple of days, uh, and I think every team has to have an interest. And I think the thing that's become uh, interesting now is that uh, the awareness everybody has of all the young players here, even before they get to the major leagues, we kind of know about these kids before they before they even sign professional contracts. And again, it's I think it's a, a testament to the quality of play over here. These, uh, the, the Japanese have all been incredibly skilled players. I mean, Ichiro is one of the greatest hitters to ever play this game uh, in so many different ways. And you know, but then you go to a guy like Matsui, who was a power guy. Uh, but uh, it's great. I love the fact that our game has become so international and hopefully there's more countries even beyond japan where we see players going to major leagues yeah well you guys scout this region pretty pretty thoroughly i know adam hislop has, has lived over in in uh, the far east at, at times um steve sharps here a lot well it seems like you guys are very committed to to scouting the far east 
Yeah, and uh, definitely. I mean, we, you know, whether we, you know, sometimes, you know, there's players, you, you know, last year was uh, Otani was a unique situation and uh, he went to the Angels, but we certainly knew everything about him. And uh, we want to make sure, you know, that we do have all the information on guys. And as you mentioned, Adam's been over here for years. He's met Tommy, our local guy here in Tokyo. Chris Patero's here. He spent some time over here. Uh, again, it's, and that's not just true in Japan, it's true around the world. You know, we're going to, there's going to be a time where every major league team has, the entire globe covered. It's gonna, it's gonna happen, and it's just uh, more sooner than later. Seems like you guys, um, over the last few years, you've started traveling better and better with your fans. We see lots of A's fans on the road in the U.S., but it seems like there are a lot of A's fans here for this series. What do you think when you see people in green and gold, kind of all over the place, but particularly in a foreign country? Yeah, well, even today, we were out in, you know, uh, with, I, my, I brought my family over here. Each time I've come over here, I brought my oldest daughter the first trip. Uh, Tara, my wife, came the second trip. And now I've got my younger kids with Tara. And we we saw, you know, on the on the subway, and then even in, we were shopping. We just saw A's hats, and I was trying to figure out if they were actually fans who came for the game, or they were. Sometimes you, you know, you can be somewhere in a different country, and someone will just be an A's fan, which is pretty cool. It's and it's, every time I see a green and gold, it, it's pretty. There's not a whole lot of green and gold uh, teams yeah, out there. Even the Packers. Yeah, and I don't. Know, I actually got a. Uh, I don't know if anyone saw this, but during the World Cup, during the summer. Uh, the Brazil, now Brazil is green and gold, but the, I took a picture of the guy who had an ace hat on uh, during the World Cup, a Brazil fan who had an ace hat on. I thought it was the coolest thing. I saw a guy on the sidelines of a Liverpool match who was doing the polls with an ace hat on one time, and I sent it to John Henry, actually. And, yeah, or Tom Warner, excuse me, it was a Tom Warner. I said to Tom Warner, who owns Liverpool. So, uh, yeah, it, not a lot of green and gold teams out there, so pretty good chance if you see a green and gold hat, it's going to be an ace hat. That's true. Uh, obviously, you guys are obviously are starting the uh, regular season here. Are there challenges to doing that so far away from home and then going back and playing games that don't count against the Giants and then opening sort of the, the home opener? You know, I would be a little more concerned if we hadn't done it before and realized it's really not that big of an adjustment. Worked out in 2012 it did. pretty yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I remember <laughs> back a funny story about that game, I remember when it was the game that uh, Johannes hit that three-run homer in the seventh or eighth inning. And up, you got to remember, at that point, we hadn't seen a whole lot of him. We didn't have any idea if he was going to be any good at all. We were like just like so afraid that oh no. And then he hit that homer. And it was just like we, I think we busted through the Tokyo Dome, to almost like high-fiving each other, mainly this sigh of relief, like he's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, because he'd had kind of a slow start in spring, yeah. and he started late too. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, Blake. Um, how do you see things with, with the current roster that you're looking at, especially coming off a 97-win season? Well, I, listen, there's a lot of things to really like about the team that are coming back, and particularly the position players, the defense on the corners, obviously, and our bullpen again. I, you know, we uh, and we lost Familia, but I think we, you know, had a good replacement in Soria. And uh, again, I think the key for us will be our starting pitching and, and how we uh, how we deal with you know, having to patch together a starting rotation. That being said, based on the spring, I feel pretty good. I'm not one to use spring training as a gauge, but I'd rather have guys so good than bad. Uh, and, you know, a few guys, uh, Montes won through very, very well. And, uh, you know, obviously Lizardo's here still in the mix, and he's the guy we think highly of. He's going to be here probably more sooner than later. Uh, but uh, so I felt good, but that is the area where, hey, listen, it's not, we're not the only team in baseball worried about our starting pitching. 
Um, I know you guys like to maximize your roster options, which sometimes means that you might want to try to keep a guy with, out of options for a while. When it's, say, somebody like Lizardo, who's had a great spring, versus maybe somebody that you might want to keep for depth reasons, how do you balance that? No, I'm actually glad you brought that up because whenever, and that's the way we've always approached it, especially the first month, you don't necessarily always break with the best 25 guys. Uh, because you may be cutting off some depth and you may create a real problem for yourself early in the season. So a lot of, we've always taken the approach uh, that, hey, we're going to try and maximize our depth, at least through the first couple weeks of the season. And again, we, it's possible we take that approach unless the gap between guys is so great. Then, 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 then you know, we won't do that. But, it, but if it's close, listen, the tiebreaker is maintaining depth. What, it, what won't be is based on service time. We've never done that, and we will continue to bring it up the players when we think they're ready to play. With somebody like Luzardo who has very, very minimal AAA time, is there also some benefit to maybe getting a little bit? Or do you think, I mean, from his results in the spring, it doesn't necessarily look like he needs to spend too much time there. Yeah, listen, ideally, a, a guy like that, yeah, you'd like to see, because he, you know, He's, he didn't spend a lot of time in AAA last year, and uh, he was a little probably gassed when he did. Uh, but, uh, again, I want to use spring training. Listen, we like Jesus, period. I mean, whether his stuff is so good, I, I don't necessarily – spring training, whether he did good or bad, really is I don't think it would be a huge part of the equation uh, because I always kind of kid, hey, listen, I was one of the top hitters in the Cactus League one year, so <laughs> – you know, and I always tell that to guys. And listen, if that can happen, you got to be careful how you about, uh, you know, evaluate spring training. But, uh, but the good thing is, again, you'd rather have guys show well. And uh, in his case, he's shown well. Um, I'm not sure what, what you guys are thinking in terms of the opener right now. If that's still a potential early in the season, or if that's something last year, obviously that you you guys didn't really turn to it until September, partly because of roster limitations. But is that something that's still in the mix for? the first part of the season at all? Yeah, I think it's a possibility. It'll be like a game-by-game -game or case-by-case -case basis. I mean, we're not going to be wed to it, and we're not going to say we're not going to do it. There's probably going to be situations that that's a good idea, uh, whether we do it all year, whether we don't do it at all. I mean, like, I don't know that we can say that, but we're not going to commit one way or the other. And there's going to be games, listen, where we probably will use it because it's the smart thing to do. There are obviously a number of free agents that are still out there, even at this late date, with you guys about to start your regular season. How close an eye are you keeping on some of those free agents? If, if per chance there were some like drastic price reductions or bargains for you to to find, I mean, listen, we're like all teams, we're keeping an eye on it. I'm, it's not something I think we're probably not an area that we're gonna dip into at this point. Uh, but, you know, everybody's keeping an eye on as much out of curiosity and where they end up landing, whether it be with a competitor or, in some cases, hopefully out of the league. Well, um, here we are in Japan, just about to start the regular season, and uh, it's very nice to have you joining us on Ace Plus. Thanks again, Billy Bean. Thanks, Susan, and have a great year as well. Our thanks to Billy Bean for spending some time with us at the Tokyo Dome. After this, I'll be back with Ken Korak. Our guest today is A's broadcaster, Ken Korak, who, uh, of course, I've known for a very long time. And we have a book coming out on the 19th. That's just around the corner, Ken. So we figured uh, with the team heading to Japan, this might be a 
nice time to well let's let's be honest just plug our book uh, shameless promotion <laughs> shameless i guess promotion. right susan yeah shameless promotion that's uh, what people do when they have a book out right exactly <laughs> we're not above it um it's called if these walls could talk stories from the a's dugout and press box uh among other things and uh i think the way we went around about this ken was kind of interesting what we focused on was work you know, people that work for the A's, how they do their jobs, how we do our jobs, how we got our jobs, um, pet peeves, best practices. Uh, that's a, Those subjects have always fascinated me. And I felt like I learned so much about some of the, first of all, your job and your history. And I've known you for, you know, 25 some years. Uh, and I still learned a lot. And uh, a lot of people I've known here for a long time, Keith Lippman and Dr. Alan Pont and, and people like that. What, what was the experience like for you as we were working on this book? Well, one thing is you finally determined what this was all about at some point, because there was, I think for quite a long stretch there, I wasn't quite sure because it, it's, it's eclectic, I think. It is eclectic. A little bit and, and a little random. But then when you focused on it's what you just said, like this is what people do in their jobs. And I thought the interviews were fascinating. Um, and I think I wrote this in the, at, at the very end of the book in the thank yous that we would sit down with some of these people thinking we were just going to do a half hour interview. We wind up with 45 minutes yeah. and the tape was running yeah. out and, yeah. and poor Allison Mast, who was transcribing everything, had a lot of work to do. But, um, you know, they were all really interesting to me. And even though I've been around the, the club for 24 years, there were things that that I learned that I, I didn't know about. Yeah. It was such a fun process. I mean, you and I, I think we both feel very privileged to be around a team that is so interesting. But one of the reasons that the A's are so interesting and you know, they've had such a history of success is some of these brilliant minds that are behind it. David Forst, I think, uh, you know, two of my favorite chapters are the ones we we did with David Forst and Bob Melvin, who, you know, have as much to do with the success of this team as anyone. Um, what did you uh, think about those two in particular? Obviously, you and I talk to Bob every day, and, and I still found the things he told us just absolutely fascinating about the ins and outs and, and the pressures involved with being a big league manager. Right. And kind of going inside the game too. And, and uh, David Force is very forthcoming. And as we're recording this, I mean, we had him on the radio yesterday going through the whole roster situation. And, and I think if you're really an ardent fan of the game, that, that inside stuff is, is really interesting because from the outside, it's, it's really, I think it's hard to know sometimes what goes into the decision making and, and David um, uh, takes us inside that in the interview. And then Bo Mel was really forthcoming uh, about his process and his journey to get here and the evolution of the way he goes about um, managing a team, which has changed. It's evolved as, as it would with anyone, I think, in no matter what you do in, in any line of work, but from the time that he started with uh, the Mariners, then the, the Diamondbacks and, and now to the A's. So, you know, I, I just find him to be, I mean, you know, I think we're both very fond of, of Bob Melvin. And he's everything you want in a leader, in a manager. And I even said this the other day on the air because he's in the middle of, even this morning, um, talking to players, bringing players into his office and telling them they've been cut. And if I was a player and I was getting cut, I think I'd like to be cut by Bob Melvin. Absolutely. Bob Melvin or Keith Littman, right. as we learned from talking about Keith, because Keith also has to do that a lot during spring training and, and after the season. Uh, yeah, Bob, you know, talking about the, the difficulties involved these days of being a big league manager, when you also have to have things like, you know, stats and data 
helping kind of guide some of the decision making. I thought he was really interesting talking about that because he's talked about, you know, he's sort of an old school. He says, I'm old school because I'm old. Um, and, and but a lot of the new school stuff, too. And, it, you know, this is the Moneyball team, which I think at times probably isn't easy. And he talks talks about that. Yeah. And it's a balancing act for him yeah. uh, because and, and the A's aren't alone in that, in that the analytics department is very involved and there are suggestions on on things, even going to the, the lineup that particular day and matchups. And so as a manager, you have to balance that. And the A's have done that very well. And as as we both know, I mean, last year was the, the ninth postseason for the A's in the last 19 years. So they've had a lot of success. And the other thing that that he's able to do is he maintains his authority and respect in the clubhouse, even though I think people know that there is an involvement from the front office as well. And Let's face it, Billy Bean is one of the legendary figures in the game. And so, uh, but Bo Mel is able to, to kind of work both ends of it. And I think he does it really well. Yeah, I think I said this in the book. One of the things that's impressed me with Bob, uh, and, and you, you, we've seen different managers over the years, here and everywhere. You know, it's, it's tough. You, you, you want to be liked, but you don't want to be liked so much mm-hmm. that you lose players' respect. You want to be liked just enough, and also still have the respect. He walks that line better than anybody I think I've ever seen, It's which uh, is, is truly extraordinary. Well, because he communicates and he's authentic. And even, and I, I mentioned kind of jokingly about being like, like I, I would want to be sent down by Melvin if I was a player. And I haven't actually been in on any of those discussions, but I know a little bit about what he does when a player gets sent down. And he stays up at night thinking about what he's going to tell a player when he sends them down because it's very thorough and tailored to that player and what they do and what they need to do to get better. So, And he always leaves them with a positive message. Well, of course, we talked to our uh, longtime friends, Steve Vucinich and Mickey Morabito. Mickey and Vuce right now are both very busy with the Japan trip coming up. Um, but we both know a lot about the ins and outs of their jobs already, but I think... Um, maybe readers who and fans who aren't really quite as familiar with what they do on a daily basis. It's pretty extraordinary. I mean, this is a big organization. There are a lot of moving parts uh, and travel and equipment. The equipment needs and the way they've changed over the years is just uh, mind boggling. They're taking 120 players to Tokyo. And I think at least for one of the games, maybe two of them, there are five different buses that are going to the ballpark from the hotel. They're two guys that have been around a long time and they work in tandem and it's like clockwork with Voos with the equipment and all the things that go on in the clubhouse and Mickey with the logistics of of uh, getting the airplanes and the reservations and, and the hotels and all the bus times, all the things that that he does. And they've been they've been so important to this team, unsung heroes behind the scenes, Susan, because uh, Mickey came here with Billy Martin in 1980 and. The interview with Billy and with Mickey in the book uh, starts with his relationship with George Steinbrenner and Billy Martin and Reggie Jackson and all that. So he goes back to 80. And and as many people know, Voos goes back literally to the birth of the franchise in the A's first year in 1968. Now, we also got a chance to sit down with Clay Wood, the A's groundskeeper, Dr. Alan Pont, the team physician. I think those are definitely people that don't get much attention. And they talked extensively about what it is they do. Do you was there anything that jumped out to you when talking to either of them that you kind of went like, oh wow, that's uh, that's really interesting or unique? Well, I'm a big fan of growing grass, yeah, like just because yeah. I've been so involved in golf in my in my life, yeah. and I've worked on a renovation at a at a golf club, and so that kind of stuff. I don't know how interesting it is to other people, 
but I do remember you, know, you asking a lot of questions about yeah, tarps. exactly <laughs> like tarps and uh, like a Bermuda base overseeded yeah. with rye at the Coliseum. But the other thing, of course, with clay that is is unique now because the Coliseum is the last of the multi-use ballparks, and that is what goes on when the Raiders have their games, and it can be a nightmare for him. And Clay and his staff, if they've done, they do a great job with it. Um, I'm not sure how fans are, if they're totally aware of, of how much work, I mean, literally uh, working around the clock on those mm-hmm. transitions. Um, and, and then Pond is one of the most, I you know, whether interviewing <laughs> him or not, he's one of the most fascinating, most yeah. brilliant and erudite people yeah. I think I've ever met. Yeah. So anytime you have a chance to sit down with Dr. Pond, who was hired in the early days of the Haas regime with Roy Eisenhart, um, he had a, a, a relationship previously with Roy and then with Sandy Alderson and Wally Haas. So he goes back like uh, not quite as far back as Mickey, but early 80s for Dr. Pond as the ace team position. And that's, that is really a critical position as well. Yeah. And then we got a new guy. We got Dave Cavill. Yeah. Um, who has got as much enthusiasm as anybody I've ever seen in my life. And I think that what well, he always conveys it, but I think he, it really comes through when we talk to him, you know, about his background, how he got the job, how he sees the team and kind of what goes into his job on a day-to-day basis. But uh, he is, he's brought a breath of fresh air, I think, to a position that, uh, people don't, you know, team president, like what's mm-hmm. this that, uh, what is that? Um, he's, he's made it clear what his goals are and how he's going to go about it. He's become a little bit of the face of the franchise. Yeah. I think Billy is still the most well-known around baseball circles, but, and he has needed that from their president. And, you know, Dave Cavill is the most enthusiastic person maybe that I've ever known <laughs> in the game, amazing. but it's genuine. Absolutely. I mean, there, none of that is, is uh, a put on or phony. I think he legitimately is that way. Um, we have him on the radio a lot, and he's he's really fun to talk to. And let's he has a very big task here. I mean, trying to get a new stadium built in Oakland and public and privately financed, and that really is his main focus. And he, he talks about that in the book. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not mention we also got a fan, our friend Jonas Rivera from Pixar, who uh, is just I mean his his accomplishments are just he's an Academy Award winning. Uh, producer and uh, one of the biggest ace fans there is and he talks about growing up in oakland as an ace fan and what it's been like and how it's kind of shaped his life and my favorite thing i think period maybe in the book is him talking about kind of the similarities between his love of animation and his love of baseball and and kind of how the ace fit in with that and he embodies what it's like to be a fan yeah he lives and dies Absolutely. with every game yeah. I and mean, he is really involved and he can he has a detailed memory of some of the big events and, and some of the really disappointing games because he talks about that in the interview. And, and he, I think he, he captures what the A's are about and, and the tie between the A's and Oakland and how he sees Pixar positioned as an Oakland business and the creativity that he can feel the vibe from being in Oakland, not only with the company that he is so uh, closely associated with, but with the A's as well. And, and he talked a little bit about some of the Easter eggs that he's, Oakland A's Easter eggs, he's managed to sneak into some mm-hmm. films. And there's one yeah. in the upcoming to- Toy Story 4 that I cannot wait to see. Yeah, he always tries to get a little Oakland stuff in there and even some A's stuff in there as well. Yeah, so it's pretty great. Now, of course, we, we, we both wrote our own chapters. Uh, you know, sometimes I think when people see a book and it's 
a broadcaster and a writer, they assume like the writer did the the writing for the broadcaster. Hey, maybe you just talked into a microphone and I, as that's told not to. it. Yeah, it's not an S told to. Ken Korak, he's written a book, as I think most of you all know. He wrote the wonderful Holy Toledo book about uh, our wonderful friend, Bill King. But uh, to, Ken emailed me one day and said, I'm just going to start writing. And you did. And you were, you, not only did you write, you rewrote and you rewrote and you rewrote. I think I might have memorized some of the chapters you did. Yeah, I'm a little obsessive with that stuff, like OCD, uh, to a fault. Uh, it might have been better if you had written all my stuff. Maybe we we, sh we could have started book, over and, and done that. But it was fun. I really enjoy writing. You know, I don't know if it's any good or not, but I, I really do enjoy it. I enjoy the process of, of doing it. Um, there was the... I wasn't real comfortable writing the biographical stuff because I'm not sure if anybody really cares about that. But there is also the chapter about our approach and how you go about your your job as a beat writer, how I go about my job as a broadcaster. And I want to make it clear that it's I don't necessarily think that the way I do it is the way it has to be done. Right. But it just it was, I think the way I go about it is the way right. it has to be done. <laughs> I mean, it is a glimpse into how we do our jobs and, and how we approach it. And then there's a chapter about my mom in there, yeah. which was a very personal chapter to write. And we also um, chose to write chapters about. Uh, some of the best games we've seen. And of course, for me, it starts with um, the no-hitter by Shamanaya and the perfect game by Dallas Braden. And there's also um, a nice kind of homage, I think, to Bill King in there oh, yes. uh, because of our, our experience of being at uh, Cooperstown two years ago when Bill got the Frick Award. Yeah. I mean, I, we both wrote things about Cooperstown. I mean, the Bill, the Bill King stuff is wonderful. I always kind of like to defer to you on Bill King. And I know I I waited in a little bit, but uh, I just had the most special time in Cooperstown, too, with Roger Angel, who, as you know, is my idol, uh, the great New Yorker baseball writer um, who uh, the Bay Area chapter nominated for the mm -hmm. um, Spink Award, the highest honor that a baseball writer can achieve. And, and you know, so I helped that along. And it means so much to me that I was there when he went in. And, and that was wonderful. So I wrote about that. And a lot of the ba the baseball writer stuff that people ask, things that people ask me about voting and Hall of Fame voting. And right. uh, as, as you know, I was the president of the baseball writers for a year. And um, we had we had our share of controversies when I was the president, unfortunately. So I, I kind of broke those down. And also, I, like you, I'm not comfortable with a lot of the biographical stuff. But um, I tried to put in anything that I get asked on a regular basis. I tried to put in because I assume people are interested if they're asking. Maybe they're, maybe they're just being polite. I don't know. But it's all in there. So I, I hope people enjoy that. The chapter that you wrote about your mom, as you mentioned, is deeply personal. Um, and it, it moved me to tears, and I think it will many people. But um, I think it was important for you, uh, and you had a, a very important message in there, too. Well, and you encouraged me to write it. And my first cousin, Susie Camarillo, who lives over in Palo Alto, also was instrumental from that standpoint. And my mom committed suicide when I was 21. And uh, Mother's Day was was never a real great day for me. Kind of a, it kind of, I think it mirrored the way that day dawned when Dallas Braden threw his perfect game in 2010 on, on May 9th. It was a great kind of overcast day, which is the way I always perceive Mother's Day. This wasn't a day that I look forward to. And I, I had actually speculated on the air while I, Vince and I were calling the perfect game that maybe Dallas had had similar conflicting feelings about that holiday, that it wasn't a, a day that he really looked forward to. And so I wrote the chapter, and with your encouragement, kind of around the fact that here was this perfect game that was thrown on Mother's Day 
by Braden in a true Hollywood story. And most Absolutely. people know that his grandmother was there and the embrace they had. I'm in tears uh, trying to recap the game as I looked down and, and saw them uh, as she was uh, taken out to the field at the Coliseum and they embraced after the, the last out in Cliff Pennington's throw to first base. So, um, and then there is the message about, about suicide and depression and yeah. kind of a, the experience that I went through with my mom uh, leading up to her taking her own life. And let's face it, suicide is a tough thing to write about and talk about, and it, it leaves people with a, a queasy feeling. And I, I think it's understandable. So It's becoming if, ever more prevalent, yeah, too. And yeah. I think it's important to get the word out, as you do, about where to get help, how right. to find help, to make sure to reach out to people if you are struggling. Um, and you put some, some of the other information in the book, which I think is, yeah. is really great. I think it all boils down to people being willing to talk. Yeah. And it's a very uncomfortable subject for people to talk about. And I think someone who may be in the throes of depression or contemplating suicide, reaching out and talking to those people, and for those like myself who went through it with a loved one, uh, you know, the, the, the communication even in the aftermath uh, can be really beneficial and can can aid the healing process. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that chapter is just, uh, it's just staggering to read. It's just incredibly moving. Um, the book uh, will be out officially on the 19th. Um, I think you can pre-order it on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. Uh, we'll be having numerous signings, including I think there will be a few set up at the Coliseum. Is that, is that correct? I think so. We don't have anything cast yeah. in stone, but I know we have to wrap this up in a, just a couple of seconds because my new broadcast partner, Coco Crisp, has some things that he has to record some commercials, oh. I think. So. Yes, well, I but think that no. definitely takes precedence. But yeah, we're going to have some signings, and we'll, we'll announce all that uh, in due time. And like you said, I guess the book officially will come out while we're in Japan. That's right. We'll be on tour doing signings. Thanks so much for joining us, Ken Korak. Well, I'm sure we'll be talking to you often throughout the season. Thank you, Susan. Ken Korak can be heard on all the A's broadcasts this season on 860 AM and the TuneIn app. Our book, If These Walls Could Talk, Stories from the A's Dugout, Locker Room, and Press Box is available from Triumph Books, all online retailers, and your local bookstore. Our producer today is King Kaufman. Thanks for listening to A's Plus. We will be back later in the week with more from Tokyo. A's Plus is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, please subscribe, tell a friend, or give us a review. Follow me on Twitter, at Susan Slusser, or you can email me at sslusser at sfchronicle.com. Support A's Plus and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.